Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth-generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation. So sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stitch Please podcast. I am your host, Lisa Woolfork, coming in to you from Charlottesville, Virginia. And I am grateful to welcome Tracy Perry, who is a doll maker. And dolls are incredibly popular and powerful cultural artifacts. They are art. They are craft. They are personal. They are all of these things. And just to kind of bring it home in terms of the contextualization, very recently, the New York Historical Society just closed an exhibition on Black dolls. The exhibition closed in June of this year, 2022, and they had dolls from nearly 100 years of American history. They had dolls from 1850, which included dolls from Harriet Jacobs, who was an enslaved woman in North Carolina who wrote this fantastic slave narrative called Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl. And so they had two of her dolls that she had made for her employers when she came to New York. They had dolls up through the 1940s. So nearly 100 years of Black doll history at this stunning exhibition. And so that is just one example of the powerful roles that dolls play in our lives. One of the things I was so excited to welcome Tracy to the program for is because her dolls are amazing. I have been following and watching her work for quite some time. I'm really excited to hear more about her doll story, her story of sewing and making dolls. She makes the dolls. She makes the clothes the dolls wear. She makes the hair that the dolls have on their hair. She paints the makeup that they have on their faces. Like this is a head to toe, top down doll maker. So welcome to the program, Tracy Perry. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Lisa. I don't even know if anybody can see me, but thank you. You're going to go ahead and put this on our Patreon so people can indeed see you. And if you're not a Patreon member, why are you not? You should totally subscribe because (laughs) there's a lot of great things happening in the Black Message Patreon, including face-to-face video chats with me. So, patron, and you get to send me video messages, and I will reply with a video message. How fun is that? Sounds great. I don't do right? Somebody has like a question about something, and I can be like, oh, try this. Really, honestly. Who else is doing that? I can't think of very many people. So, I wanted to welcome you again, and thank you, Tracy. Tracy, you got to tell us, how did you get started with doll making? How did you know that doll making was for you? How did you know that, you know what, I could be a quilter, I could be an embroiderer, I could be a painter, I could be a garment maker, I could be all of those things, but instead I'm going to be all of them in small scale. For <laughs> Tell me, how do you make your creative choices? I was actually a seamstress first. <laughs> I was a seamstress for many, many years. I learned how to sew by hand. I think I must have been like 10 years old. Okay. One of my neighbors in the neighborhood, this older lady, she was a friend of the family. I would go and visit her and sit on her porch. And she showed me the first time I ever held a needle and thread. She showed me how to thread a needle and how to sew things. So after that, I just started making little bitty things. I took home economics in high school and I sewed clothes. I used to sew things for my mother. She's like, could you make me this? And I was like, sure. You know, and I, so I always sewed. Then I went in the military and I was up in Alaska for, I think, about four years in Alaska. <laughs> and I still 
sewed. I had my sewing machine up there with me. I sewed like these bears. And I knew I was doing it for decoration because my dorm room was so black. You know, I wanted something interesting. So I did these satin teddy bears and I put them in my room on my bed and everybody loved them. And they had like little musical notes in their chest. You know, you could press a little part and it would play a little tune. And I was like, oh, this is pretty good. I didn't think anybody would like it but me. After I got out of the military, I went to Florida. I had made this doll, just a rag doll. And she was a pretty big, probably about a 20 or 30 inch doll. Okay. And she had the long hair. It was the first rag doll I ever really made. It sold like right away. And somebody paid like $14 for it. And I was like, wow, I could sell these things. $14 is not enough for your doll, but okay. Yeah. So I had a friend, fortunately, that was working in a bookstore and I was telling her this and she showed me this book by Susanna Orion. I think it was called Art of the Doll. I had never seen anything like it in my life. I was looking through this book at all these dolls in the bookstore. She was showing me and I was just like fascinated. And then it struck, it's like, oh my God, you can make money making dolls? <laughs> I mean, it was just like, these were art dolls. These were like really high-end art dolls, but I had never even considered it. These people make things for museums. So that was my goal. I was like, oh, I'm going to go and make me some museum pieces. And so I started making dolls then. I didn't make cloth dolls right away. I started doing soft sculpt because one of the artists in the book did soft sculpt. And I was like, I want to know how to do that. I'd practice and try. I was terrible at it, but my style was totally different. And people still love those dolls. Yes. But that was dangerous work. <laughs> I say dangerous because I cut my hand twice with a razor trying to carve the styrofoam or to cut out something because I would use like these little exacto razors almost cut through my hand one time trying to do something. And also I have problems with my fingers. So that constant hand sewing and pulling threads and oh, my hands hurt so bad. So yeah, I stopped doing that. And then I started doing the cloth dolls. First, they were like these little triangle-shaped dolls I did. I sold them at a craft show. And then I started doing the larger dolls. The dolls that I have now, which are like my signature dolls, I had like two prototypes that I did. There was just something I was like, oh, I want to figure out how to make something different. Yeah. Uh, but that was curvy. Can't think of the name of those dolls. But there is a doll similar to mine, but the shape is a little different and there's no hands or feet. So I wanted to make something similar to that, but I wanted to be curvy. So I can make like black dolls or whatever with like some hips or something. Yeah. I was like, how do you have a doll with no hips? <laughs> well, I want to pause you there because you have shared a whole lifetime, it feels like, few experiences before you even get to where you are at this moment. And the idea that you were in the military, you were in military dorm housing, it's rather sterile. Alaska is a place you've been stationed. You don't have necessarily family there or any kind of connection to the place where you are. And so you need something to do. Well, you got plenty to do, I'm sure. But you want your home environment, the dorm space, to really feel comforting and warm. Now, some folks would say, you know, what? I'm going to make a quilt. I'll put a quilt on the bed and that'll be the thing that'll remind me of my creativity and I can snuggle with it, et cetera, et cetera. But you went in a different direction. You said, I'm going to make a three-dimensional object that is also allows me to do the same thing. And you are absolutely not going to skip over the fact that your first fair projects, as you explained them to me here, also included an interactive component and music. When I think about my first teddy bear, which I think I might have made one or so, it wasn't great. It did not sing to people. Kind of thing that nobody wanted to touch and make noise. It was more like, oh my gosh, I have terror. Like, don't throw this to anyone else. You know what I mean? So like the fact that you made this bear that was so cuddly and you could press the heart and it would say, what, Tracy? Like, how? 
I don't know, my mind works in this. My husband tells me it doesn't settle down. So I wanted to make the bears. And then as I was making them, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be neat if you could press here and play a little music? And that's exactly what I did. I went to the fabric store and looked for like those little music boxes. Yeah. And so I bought like three of those little things. I don't even know if they still sell those anymore where you just press them and you can sew them into things. So I just sewed it in. I did a little heart patch and I sewed it behind the thing. And yeah, and it was great. That is really wonderful. I mean, the idea you not only made a bear that you could touch and squeeze, but it also had sound. That is kind of next level. That's like really thinking about this as a whole project. It's thinking about the textures of the doll, what the doll can do, how the doll can reach out and provide comfort. And so I just thought that was just a really fun way to begin. Even at the earliest stages before you became someone who is such an advanced and highly skilled doll maker, from the very beginning, you were thinking in a totality. You were thinking (laughs) as a whole, not just this is a project that I am doing for you with something else. It was more than that. So I think that's really incredible. I just think we have to give you some kudos having that be such a powerful success. Can you talk to us about some of the different types of dolls? You mentioned something about dolls that might have hands or feet, like the idea of something being like, could you explain about what an articulated doll is? Can you explain what that phrase means in terms of doll making and why that's important or difficult? Like I said, I started off with the soft sculpture dolls. And basically that's just, well, for me, it was styrofoam with some batting and then a lot of hand sewing of features and putting in like make glass eyeballs. And those dolls, I did make articulate. You could bend their arms. I would make fingers that actually bent. I would have to do like a wire armature. Basically, I did like a solid body and I attached the head and then I would do like the wire arms and the wire legs and the wire feet so you could move them around. Like I said, those were a lot of work. And honestly, I could never recoup the time that I put into that. I mean, I would sell dogs for like 250 or something. The price was good. But honestly, the amount of work that went into it, it was probably a $500 doll. It was just so much work that I was like, I'm never going to be able to do this and make a lot of money unless I, of course, do like the people who put the things in the museum and sell them for like $10,000 a piece. And I didn't think mine were that good. I mean, they were good, but I was like, mm, I wouldn't pay that much. <laughs> I might pay two fifty three hundred. Yeah. So then I started with the regular cloth dolls. I always wanted my dolls to bend at the joints. Even my regular cloth dolls, they will either just bend at their elbow or bend at their knee. Sometimes I will make just a straight sculpted leg. Like I'll actually sew the fabric where the leg curves so that I don't have to put a joint or anything there. You'll see like a knee. And I'm actually working on some like that now. Most of my dolls will bend at the elbow. I don't make a lot of jointed dolls as far as like button joints and things like that. Although I do have some patterns. I have made them in the past and I've made a lot of them. I think I told you about that. What I'm understanding now is that I think I believe that soft sculpture and cloth were the same. I believe that because there was softness in the soft sculpture, that it was like a synonym for a cloth. Oh, no, it's different. No, that's so soft sculptures, even if it has like wire armature, for example, it's still considered a soft sculpture because it combines. We'll explain soft sculpture. Soft sculpture can be different things that most people who do soft sculpture now, they Mm -hmm. do it in felt. 
like felt is considered a soft sculpture because soft sculpture is basically you're taking a soft material like felt or in my case with the polyfill or the batting over, you're taking that soft material and you're molding it into something. So that's my understanding of what soft sculpture is. A lot of felt artists do it and they do it with the needles. Yeah. I wish I could do that. I just know my <laughs> hands aren't going to do that. I do like needle felting. I've done needle felting before. My teaching partner is a needle felting artist. And so I have learned to have that really fluffy, light roving and you just stab it a million trillion times and it turns into something hard. So I definitely hear that. Thank you. And so you're saying that some folks just use felt entirely as part of that process. I don't know what else they use because I'm not real familiar with the technique, but that's my idea of what soft sculpting is. You're basically taking a softer material like the wool roving or like I said, the polyfill, and you're sculpting it into something, into a figure or into a face. And that's my understanding of what soft sculpture is. There's so many different types of doll things. I know there's a whole plushy community <laughs> where people make plush dolls, which I have not gotten into, but it's really big because when I go to craft shows, I see people selling plushies that they created. And I was like, hmm, I hadn't thought to do that. Yeah, I can totally see why. Because plushies, they can be so novelty. They can like represent lots of different things. They can be abstract. They can be representational. So I can definitely see why that would thrive. I want to talk about your button jointed doll experience, y'all. Miss Perry was invited to be a guest at a conference. So this is my understanding. She knows the story. My understanding is she was invited to be a guest at a doll conference, convention, meeting or something. And part of that invitation included making 80 dolls that were jointed and they were what's called button jointed. And Tracy is going to explain about that because it felt to me like she was being invited to be hazed. I don't see how you invite someone to do something and you're like, okay, I need you to bring 80 of anything other than potato chips. Like, really? But tell us about how this experience taught you some important lessons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I have local doll groups around the area from, I guess, from Richmond up to Fredericksburg. Then some of them collect my dolls. This one particular doll club was having their annual show and they wanted, well, I will say now, I did get paid for the dolls, but they wanted someone to make, what do you call those, souvenir dolls? You know how you put stuff in people's bags, you know, a little swag bag. So they were like, yeah, we need you to make these dolls. And originally... I thought they told me which doll. And so I made like three samples of these little dolls. And when I showed them to the ladies, they were like, that's not the doll we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, I had these little stick six inch dolls that you hold at the bottom and they had a little dress and little hats and they were cute. And those would have been easy to do. Mm. But when I showed them to them, they were like, you don't have anything else? This is not what we were looking for. We were talking about this other doll that you made. And I was like, Oh, so basically they wanted this little six inch doll who has a little button joint for each arm, a little button joint for each leg. And like I said, six inches. So you can imagine that's how tall the doll is. Each leg is only about, you know, each arm. Two inch torso to get yes. really small. Okay. So I was thinking I had like four months to do it. So I was like, okay, I can do this. I can get this done. I did it. I mean, I got it done, but I had to enlist the help 
of my daughter. I had to enlist the help of one of my friends because I would draw out patterns. I'd get like 20 drawn out. And then, of course, they got to be sewn and then cut them out. And then they got to be turned. That was really hard on my hands. So I had my friend, she would help me turn them and cut them out and turn them after I sewed them. And my daughter would help me stuff them and help cut them out as well. But I ultimately was the one who had to sew all the button joints and things because they didn't know how to do it. They don't sew. So (laughs) I was like, I made the deadline, got all the dolls. They were really cute and took them to the event and everything. Everybody got their little doll. Everybody loved them. They raved about them and they wanted me to do more shows. Other people came to me from other doll clubs who were attending them oh, can you make a doll for us? And I was like, mm. a couple of lessons I learned from that. Well, first of all, do not overcommit if you're a solopreneur. And that, everyone, is the wisdom for the episode. That is it. And let me tell you, I realize I am not a mass production person. I hate it. My idea of mass production is maybe six dolls. I can do like six in a series. Even right now, I think I've got like 10 dolls that I'm doing, but I've been taking my time doing it because it's something I created. But anything more than that, I don't do mass production. I don't want to do mass production. If you want to reach out to me and say, hey, we need 50 of these. I know I'm going to have to hire about four more people to do it. I will hire people to help me out, but I'm not going to do it as a solopreneur again. I didn't like it. And I had to go to this doll meeting because I was an honored guest. (laughs) And I had to shake him so much. They really honored the hell out of you. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I got a lot of recognition from it. And these are some serious doll collectors, but it was exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting. Mentally and physically. After I did all that working, I had to go and I had to set up a table too because they let me have a table to sell my other dolls. I was just exhausted. I was like mentally exhausted. I was like, I don't want to do this again. September is National Sewing Month, and the Stitch Please podcast is going to celebrate that like we celebrate every episode by centering Black women, girls, and femmes in sewing. For September, however, we are going to be talking with Black women authors who are also sewists. So tune in for the month of September and you will hear from writers like Bianca Springer, Hakima Hapa, Leslie Ware, Olubemisola Rude Perkovich, and more. So listen out for September and we will help you get your stitch together. It's so interesting because for other folks, I can imagine, it's kind of like one of those stories that you hear, those kind of really abusive stories, like somebody sees their kids smoking a cigarette, so they lock them in a closet with a pack of cigarettes and say, you can't come out until you smoke everyone. (laughs) Smoke so bad. Horrible, horrible. I do not recommend that as a technique. Like, what happened to you, right? Like, you love doll making, and that love was very much tested, and it stood that test, but you also got to learn some lessons about what essentially are boundaries, you know, about protecting the peace of your creative life. Hey, I'm happy to make a whole bunch of dolls. I just need to be well-resourced for it. So you want me to make a bunch? You got to pay me a bunch so I can pay people to help me because what's not going to happen is me staying up until two, three o'clock in the morning, yeah. putting buttons on some doll's hip joint. Like, yeah, shout out of her again. That is a lesson learned. 
I love that because I think that for myself, I absolutely get very much involved in a project. I lose time because I'm so excited about it. But that's animated by joy. (laughs) It's animated by stress. Then it's horrible. And you just feel like, wait a minute. Yes, I can do it. But why do I have to? You know, and so you, yes. And the thing is, you don't have to. You don't have to. I'm really curious about some of the tools that you use in doll making to make the dolls work. I think a lot about, I'm a big notions fanatic. I love it. I'm terrible. I'm looking right now at three pressing hams and ham holder and a ham mitt, two mitts. Really, like I am very much into sewing notions. And so I consider that the dolls, y'all have such cool tools between the hemostats and all the other things that you use. What are some of the things that you found most helpful for notions and making dolls that maybe some of us who don't sew dolls but sew in general might be curious to know about? I'm going to tell you, my number one tool is my hemostat. I don't know why I never even knew what a hemostat was. And I, I don't even know how I came about it. I needed a pair of pliers that were like really, really thin. So I got the hemostat. I bought it from like Walmart or something. The first one I got, it was a small, just a regular size. And I bought it in the fishing department. I don't know what I was doing in the fishing department. I think I was with my husband. And so I got this hemostat and I got it home and it was a life changer for me. I could turn like small fingers and everything because, you know, hemostats, basically they're like pliers that clamp. Yeah. Oh my God, I love them. They're my most favorite tool in the world. <laughs> I don't know who makes them. They need to put me on some kind of promo. <laughs> I think that hemostats and what she's describing, she says it's like a pair of pliers. It's a combination of scissors and pliers, don't you think? So I'm holding a pair right now of hemostats, y'all. Essentially, it has these teeth at this yep. here where the handle is. And this is why you should be a Patreon subscriber because you can see this. Or just Google hemostats for free. I get you. It has these teeth and you clamp it shut. And then when you pull, it'll pull, turn, it'll do whatever you need. I have three of them. I had more and I'm sure I gave them. No, that's not true. I've got three, four. Yeah, there's another pair up there. Wow. You can get these medical supplies because I think nurses use them and that kind of thing. So the hemostat, right? Oh my gosh. How do you turn with the hemostat? And this is something that I struggle with. I don't know if I'm just too heavy handed, but when I go to clamp, I always feel like and have done, I poke a hole in it. Oh, no. <laughs> right? That's what I always say. Oh, no. And it's like, look, not a doll maker. So how do you avoid poking a hole through? Does it require like smaller stitches? Well, I guess you're just more patient than I am. And that I fully believe. I use smaller stitches on my doll so that I don't have to reinforce. I used to sew over everything twice. And I was like, oh, my God, that takes too long. So now I just use this two millimeters, like the tiniest stitch that I can do that will hold. Yeah. You got to really want to rip it apart, take it apart. But with the hemostats, I have two sizes. Okay. Well, I have two smaller ones about the same size that you just had. And then I have like the really long curved ones that I use to turn feet and legs. But I don't always initially start off with the hemostat. I use a tube turner. I will start it off with my fingers. I can use my smaller hemostats and I use like a regular straw, actually. And I put it on the inside and then I use the tip of the hemostat to push the fabric into the straw to get it started. And then once I get it started, I just move to the main part of the hand and do that part as well or the other fingers. And then after I get it so far up, I go ahead and stick the hemostats in and just pull it out. 
and it makes life so much easier. So it's kind of a combination of tools. I always use a tube. And let me tell you, smoothie straws work excellent if you're turning like a little small belt or something. Smoothie straws, there's kits. Like I bought this kit. I paid like $14 for this stupid thing. It's just some plastic tubing. I could have went to Lowe's and got it for like, you know, 50 cents. <laughs> so you can find tools. So I use my hemostat with the tubing and I find that works excellent. Well, I'm going to offer to you a suggestion of my absolute favorite tool in all of sewing. And that is the Fast Turn 2 Turn Set. (laughs) If you've ever listened to this podcast for maybe more than five episodes, I'm sure I have said it aloud. I do not work for these Fast Turn 2 Turn people. They don't tell me from a can of paint, but I bought one back in 1998 and I have been using it regularly with my sewing for 25 plus years. Wow. It's so awesome. I'm just going to recommend that to you because as you say, it's not the kind of plastic with the stick and the whatever. First of all, if you have something that's working for you, don't change. <laughs> Want to try something? I'm telling you, those that fast turn two turns set, like it changed my sewing. It revolutionized it. I can turn spaghetti straps the size of actual spaghetti. And it lets you stuff at the same time. You can put it down and then pull. It will pull in the stuffing as the thing is turned. Wow. Yeah, because it's about physics, right? You can lay the, you know, you've done this, I'm sure. Once you start turning the batting or the filler that I use for like a cord, for example, to make a corded, it just pulls it right in, right alongside. And so you don't have to shove or whatever. It just automatically grabs it. I love it. I love that doggone thing. I think I do. Well, you know, I'll be looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not cheap, but it is worth its weight in platinum, in my opinion. It's such a good thing. I won't use anything else. It is so, so easy. And we've been talking about like advice and offering advice. And you have done such a wonderful job with your dolls. And as I was saying, one of the things I love about your dolls is how they look like you. <laughs> I really feel whenever I'm just scrolling through my feed and one of your dolls pops up on your page, I know it's your page. I'm like, this is a Tracy doll. This is Tracy's because I can tell. So can you talk a bit about the creation? You'll have dolls with purple hair. Their makeup is so nice. Like all of these things, all of the wonderful detail that you put into that. Can you talk a little bit about your process for how you decide on what a doll's personality is going to be, what her shape's going to be, what his outfit's going to be? Like, how does that come to you? Are you creating a series of characters in your mind or is it just like what just happens to speak to you at the moment? It speaks to me at the moment and sometimes with the faces and things. I'll look at television or I'll look in a magazine. I have like some stock faces around here that I've cut out of magazines because I love the expression. I will just use that face. Sometimes when I do custom dolls, sometimes people send me pictures and sometimes they don't. So I have to kind of get a feel. They're like, oh, she loves to paint. Oh, she smiles all the time. So then I just have to come up with something. It's probably because I am looking at my own face. A lot of times I'm looking at my face, say, okay, where's the light? Okay, my eyebrows. Most of my dolls will have like very similar eyebrows because I'm either drawing my eyebrows or I'm drawing something dissimilar to them. They all pretty have my lips. I don't know why. I try to change it up, but for some reason, they always end up looking like me. 
back when I was in high school, I used to paint and I was good at watercolor and I love painting. So painting is like another thing I'm going to go into because I absolutely miss it. And the only time I get to do it is when I do the dolls. So I draw their faces on with one of those permanent archival ink pens. I'll draw the face on and then I'll just start painting from there. Sometimes people tell me what colors they want, like they want the lips to be really red or they just want. I try to make it neutral because I know some people don't like a lot of makeup look on their dolls and some people like that look. But I'm a selfish doll maker. I just try to do what I like. I was bending myself backwards trying to say, oh, people don't like this. People don't like that. And then I would find out that, yeah, people did like it. It's just like I'd make a doll and it sit here for two years. I've got dolls in these boxes here that some of them have been sitting here for like a year or so. And then I'll repost them and they'll sell right away. And I'm like, I I don't understand. (laughs) I love this idea when you were saying that, and I would not call it selfish in a way that is negative. I think too often when women, especially Black women, want to do something that's self-directed, self-determined, self-reflected, it's seen as selfish. That is absolutely false. That is absolutely false. And in the same way that Toni Morrison wrote books that she wanted to read, and we all benefited from that, you, Miss Morrison. Yes. Right? So too does Tracy Perry make dolls that kind of look like Tracy Perry, but also are incredibly powerful. And because they look like Tracy Perry, they are speaking to an entire community of Black women who have never seen themselves in a doll. And I'm I'm just assuming that most of our cultural institutions that are not created by Black people, that the doll community is predominantly white and reflects whiteness all the time as a matter of course, and that Black dolls are somehow other and special and different, and white dolls are normal and regular. So don't call it selfish. Call it corrective. Oh, I got to tell you on that. You're right. Because the majority of my dolls are brown dolls. That's what I like doing. I like to sprinkle in a few Caucasian dolls. I do. But that's not my primary focus. I like to offer one or two because if somebody does love my dolls, I want them to be able to say, hey, I can purchase one as well. But I like the fact that I make my dolls for brown people. Well, not for brown people, because a lot of people buy the dolls, all different races. But I primarily make brown dolls. But the thing I love about it is that the Caucasian dolls are the minority dolls (laughs) in my set. Yeah, it's like flip the switch, you know, it's kind of like. And that's how it should be. And that is what Toni Morrison was also saying. She's like, in my world, Black people are the only people. They are my neighbors. They are my family. They are my children. This idea that somehow it is wrong for Black people to start with ourselves. When it is not wrong for white people to start with themselves and to look around and see themselves reflected everywhere, that's not seen as wrong or bad or selfish. We call that normal. And when we go to do that for ourselves, it's a problem. Really, you have to ask yourself, why on earth would anybody think that as a Black woman, you are supposed to begin and end with whiteness? That makes no sense. It would be, in my mind, unhealthy, obscuring your true vision of who you are. It makes no sense at all. And yet there are folks who often start with white and end with white, and that is all there is. And they want to kind of fit themselves in the background, and that's just fine. And that's, you know what? I don't judge. Lies, I do judge. But it's not for me. (laughs) It's not for me. It's not for me. And that's what I love about it. I mean, of course, the work that comes from your hands 
should reflect the deepest essence of who you are, as well as on the inside and the outside. That is just a normal human expression of life. And you are doing that so beautifully in so many ways with your dolls. And I am so glad we got to talk about it today. You know, I'm going to ask you, the slogan of the Stitch Please podcast is that we will help you get your stitch together. Okay. And you, Miss Perry, the doll maker, um, who makes these amazing, amazing cloth dolls, dolls that are so vibrant and they have so much personality. They've got so much integrity of craft. How would you advise someone to get their stitch together? What would you say to them? You know what? We were talking about tools and I'm going to tell you, Lisa, my number one thing for anybody that's starting out, get the right tools and then just take your time. Develop your craft. Take your time. You don't have to be like me. You don't have to be like this person. No two peoples are the same. I sell the patterns for my dolls and someone says, oh, they're going to steal your idea and somebody's going to make them. And I'm like, you know what? They can make them, but they're not going to be my dolls. And anybody looking at my dolls is going to know that it may be my pattern, but it's not my doll. Get you the right tools and take your time and develop your craft. That is absolutely wonderful. And on that note, where can we find you on the socials? Where can we find you to follow you and to learn more about your work and what you have coming up next? Everywhere I am is at Seems Like Tracy. I'm on YouTube at Seems Like Tracy. I'm on Instagram at Seems Like Tracy. And my new website, where by the time this airs, will be up. And it is at Seems Like Tracy, or Seems Like Tracy. <laughs> like Tracy. And you know, we're sewing podcasts and Seems are like S-E-A-M-S. That's yes. Seems. Absolutely. Tracy, this was delightful. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate this so much. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. I really enjoyed it and I admire you so much. You do such a great job. Oh, thank you. Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> You've been listening to the Stitch Please podcast the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions, you can contact us at blackwomenstitch at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do that by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help support the project with things like editing, transcripts, and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can really, really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcast directories or services allow for reviews, but for those who do, for those that have like a star rating or just ask for a few comments, if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the Stitch Please podcast, that is incredibly helpful. Thank you so much. Come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together. Mm-hmm.